Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elstrom. Although her name may have been a punchline, the First Lady of Texas was no joke. A woman who cared about the cultural and mental well-being of her beloved home state and spent her life working for it. Today we're talking about I'm a Hog. But first, what's your favorite historical marker in Texas? Well, mine is the only interesting thing that's in Normandy, Texas, which is the marker for the old San Antonio Road. Mm, the USR. USR. Yeah, El Camino Real. It goes right through Normandy, and they have a really nice uh, limestone marker right on the side of town. So there you go. Normandy, that's the thing I like about you. I think that we might have done an episode about that once upon a time. We did. Well, my favorite historical marker in Texas is this uh, brand new plaque sitting right here in our studio, commemorating the longest-running podcast about Texas history and culture. Well, it's not actually a real marker, and there isn't no, yet. No, it's coming. Yet. I bet it's coming. Somebody out there is working on it, I'm sure. So I'm actually going to say it's the Leanderthal Lady, marker number 9260. Just outside of Leander, Texas, they discovered um, a prehistoric skeleton that was dated between ten and 13,000 years old. And hmm. it was found so near to Leander that people couldn't help but make a pun. So she became known as the Leanderthal Lady. Hmm. Hmm. Well, my brother lived in Leander for like six years, and I'd never heard of the Leanderthal Lady. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. But I think that's cool. Yeah. Well, my historical marker is the um, the one that's at Bucky's that says on uh, April, uh, whatever it is, and whatever the year is, nothing uh, important happened here. No, that's just a fake novelty item. Um, really, my favorite Texas historical marker is the one that I haven't discovered yet. There's always another great story about Texas history that I don't know, but should. Uh, one of these days when I'm driving down the highway and I see that brown sign with the arrow that says historical marker, one mile, um, I will actually not be in such a rush to get from uh, point A to point B that I will pull over and see what that marker says. But uh, there's a lot of them out there, and uh, uh, I hope to uh, see more of them. Well, if you've got a historical marker that you're interested in or is near where you live, why not take a picture? Send us a note about it. Tweet at us. We'd love to hear about it. I'm a Hog was born in Mineola, Texas on July 10, 1882. Her father was an East Texas politician and district attorney named Jim Hogg. After the birth of his second child and only daughter, Jim wrote to his brother, quote, Our cup of joy is now overflowing. We have a daughter of as fine proportions and of as angelic mien as ever gracious nature favor a man with. And her name is Ima. Ima didn't have a middle name, and her first name came from a character from her uncle Thomas Elisha Hogg's epic Civil War poem, The Fate of Marvin, which is the name of the book that I would like to read now. Yep. Some people believe her father picked his daughter's name to drum up attention as she was born during a re-election bid for district attorney. However, based on some of the correspondence that he wrote, Jim wasn't even aware of the unfortunate condition of his daughter's name at that time. He didn't really realize I'm a hog didn't sound right. 
Now, according to Ima, her grandfather Stinton lived 15 miles away, and the news traveled slowly of her birth. When he learned that she was born and what her name was going to be, quote, he came trotting down to he quote he came trotting to town as fast as he could to protest it, but it was too late. The christening had taken place, and Ima I was to remain. Ima's name sometimes gave her elder brother William plenty of trouble as well, and he quote defended her good name at school often coming home with bloody noses. Her signature was a scrawl that left her first name illegible and her stationery generally read just Miss Hogg or I period Hogg. But she did not go by anything else until several months before her death when she started calling herself Imogene. Of course, with a powerful governor for her father, she became the butt of another joke when an urban legend sprang up that Hogg had named, a, named her sister Ura. Of course, Ima was Hogg's only daughter. Her name's origin is undoubtedly the least interesting thing about Ima Hogg. Her family had a long history of public service, with her great-grandfather serving in three different state legislatures and her grandfather serving in both the Congress of the Republic of Texas and he helped write the state constitution. Jim Hogg, of course, was a district attorney when she was born, and by the time Ima began kindergarten, he was elected Texas Attorney General. In 1890, Jim Hogg was elected governor of Texas. He was the first native-born Texan to do so. Eight-year-old Ima attended the swearing-in ceremony and the inaugural ball, which was the first to be held in the newly built Texas State Capitol, which is the same capital we have today, that beautiful red limestone capital. After the inauguration, they moved into the governor's mansion, which wasn't quite so new. She and her siblings, uh, she had two younger brothers as well, uh, they were children, but they were expected to help renovate the building. One of little Ima's jobs was to pry chewing gum from furniture and door moldings. Ima and her brothers were rather rambunctious, and they enjoyed sliding down the banisters in the mansion. That is until Big Jim nailed tacks into the railing. The holes from those nails remained in the banister for many decades afterwards. Now, her mother, Sarah, tried to teach her ladylike skills, such as needlework, but Ima claimed she never had the patience to succeed. Chewing gum on the the door frames I of guess so. the governor's mansion. <laughs> um, guess they didn't have uh, garbage cans back I guess then. The, I don't know. I guess the previous governor was not as couth as. Yeah, I don't know. Big yeah. So anyway, the hog children loved animals and kept dogs, cats, birds, a raccoon, possums, rabbits, a pony, and a parrot while they lived in the governor's mansion. They once held their own circus on the grounds of the mansion using their animals, and Ima charged guests a nickel to attend. This lasted until her father discovered her entrepreneurial enterprise and made her give the money back. More exotic animals were added to their collection, including a bear, a horse, a fawn, cockatoos, and even two ostriches. On a dare, Ima climbed on one of the ostriches to ride it, but was thrown off when one of her brothers shot it with a slingshot. This story eventually inspired a book by Margaret Olivia McManus and Bruce Dupree named Ima and the Great Texas Ostrich Race. That reminds me of uh, Swiss Family Robinson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ima's mother, Sarah, never fully recovered from giving birth to her last child, Thomas. She and her daughter went to several health spas in Austin, and in 1895, after Sarah was diagnosed with tuberculosis, Sarah and Ima moved to Colorado. They stayed with Jim's sister, Martha Frances Davis, who had raised him after his parents died. The change in environment did not have the hoped-for results, and Sarah unfortunately died less than a year after moving. 
Martha came to Austin to live with the family for several months and to care for the children after the loss of their mother. Martha herself had lost her husband to tuberculosis and was sure that Ima had contracted it, though she showed no symptoms. She told Ima she should never marry to ensure she did not pass the disease on. Jim Hogg's second term as governor ended in 1895, but he remained in Austin where he used his connections to become involved in land and oil speculation. Eventually, he amassed a huge fortune. Uh, We talked about this actually on the Jim Hogg episode a few weeks ago. The Hogg children were enrolled in boarding school in San Marcos for a short time, but they later returned to Austin to live with Big Jim again. They employed a housekeeper, but Ima was the lady of the house, and she supervised both the cleaning and the education of her younger brothers, even though she was barely a teenager herself. In 1898, Ima and Jim went to Hawaii, where they met Queen Lilukalani and watched the ceremony that turned the island nation over to the United States and became an American territory. They were scheduled to take a boat back to Seattle, but Ima refused to get on the ship. Sobbing, she begged her father to make other arrangements because she had a, quote, awful feeling. He agreed, and they sailed to California instead, discovering upon their arrival that the original ship was lost at sea with no known survivors. Though her brothers attended public school, Ima was enrolled at a private school and received private music lessons. In 1899, she enrolled at the University of Texas at Austin, her favorite courses being German, Old English, and Psychology, and she later said, quote, No freshman was ever more immature, more unprepared, more frightened than I. She joined the Valentine Female Social Club and helped inaugurate the first sorority on the campus, Pi Beta Phi. After only two years there, she moved to New York to study piano and music theory at the National Conservatory of Music. Now, Ima stayed in New York for only another two more years before she came back to Texas. She split her time between Houston, which is where her father had set up his law practice, and the town of West Columbia, where he'd recently bought part of the Varner Plantation. Ima supervised the remodeling of the house there, uh, which was something that she came to do many times over. I uh, came to love that activity. She added, a new port- she added a new portico to the back of the house, and she made it the new entrance. After Jim was injured in a train accident in 1905, Ima served as his nurse. Sadly, he never recovered fully, and just about a year later, she discovered him deceased in his bed. Her brother William took devastated Ima to New York City, where she immersed herself in concerts and museums in order to help quell her grief. Hogg's fortune was left to his children, and her inheritance made Ima financially independent. In 1907, Ima took a vacation to Germany, which turned into a two-year stay in Europe. While there, she studied music in Vienna under the pianist of the court of Francis Joseph I of Austria, and in Berlin under composer Martin Krauss. On her return to Texas, Ima settled in Houston with her brother William. At the time, the city had a population of 100,000 people, but not a single museum, park, professional theater, music, or ballet group. Ima sought to bring some culture to the town on various fronts, becoming the city's most vocal and prominent patron of the arts. For the next nine years, Ima Hogg taught music to many of the pupils. In 1913, she became president of the Girls' Musical Society and was on the entertainment committee of the College Women's Club which organized a theater group known as the Green Mask Players. She also organized the Houston Symphony Orchestra and set up a subscription series of three concerts per year. 
In the first session of the Board of Directors on the orchestra, she served as vice president. In 1917, she was asked to serve as president and took on that role for 12 terms. Even when she left the board, she supported the symphony for the rest of her life. Ima and her brothers had tried to sell the Varner plantation after their father's death. However, a provision in his will specified that they had to keep the land for 15 years before they could sell it. Well, this was a providential bit of wisdom from beyond the grave. Twelve years after Jim Hogg's death, oil was found and a second strike on the land followed the next year. The Hogg siblings earned $225,000 per month, which in today's money is $3.3 million per month. And this was for the oil on this land. They had been installed by their father over the years to value hard work over everything else. And so the Hogg children didn't feel like the money was theirs. It came from the land and not from their own work. So instead of keeping it, they all decided that they were going to use it for the good of the state of Texas. They believed that because oil came from Texas land, it belonged to Texas citizens. Hmm. One of the areas of philanthropy that the family, particularly Ima, focused on was the subject of mental health. In 1929, Ima founded the Houston Child Guidance Clinic. This clinic was groundbreaking, not only because mental health was both taboo and little understood at the time, but also because the clinic was open to people of all races and income levels. Ima later said that of everything else she did, opening that clinic was the one that satisfied her the most. Ima's interest in mental health came from her father, who widely read about the topic. She often went with him on his visit to state institutions like hospitals and asylums. She continued her studies in the mental health field when she was a student at UT and was certain that her youngest brother Tom would have benefit and was certain that her youngest brother Tom would have benefited from treatment. He'd reacted badly to their mother's death and struggled with instability as an adult. No doubt though, in addition, another part of her in- uh, another part of her interest came from the fact that Ima herself faced mental health issues. She suffered from severe depression in 1918 and was treated by Dr. Francis Xavier Dirkum for the next three years. She even was hospitalized for a time and spent considerable time in recovery from her illness in Philadelphia. Ima was fully recovered by 1923, but her experience caused her to discard her dream for the last time of becoming a concert pianist. Ima's commitment to new ideas about mental health and her candor and recognition of the effects of mental illness on self and family contributed greatly to the changing ideas about the treatment of and acceptance of mental illness. In 1930, Ima went on another vacation to Germany with her beloved brother, William. While there, William suffered a gallbladder attack and died during emergency surgery. His will bequeathed $2.5 million to the University of Texas with the hope that it would be used along with money that Ima donated for the far-reaching benefit of the people of Texas. While that was a noble purpose, it wasn't very precise, and legal battles kept the money tied up until 1939, when the university finally got $1.8 million of that money. The following year, after consulting her younger brother Michael, who was executor of the will, Ima established the Hogg Foundation for Mental Health at the University of Texas at Austin. The foundation established mental health clinics conducted lectures, and provided teacher training courses as well as performing mental health research and performing a survey of mental hygiene conditions in Texas. 
and when the United States entered World War II, the Foundation researched methods to ensure mentally unstable men were not enlisted and provided counseling to people traumatized by the war. Groundbreaking work at the time that we take for granted today. Once the war ended, the Foundation expanded to provide mental health care for the poor and the elderly. Today, it continues to grant five $5,000 scholarships to students getting their master's degrees in social work. Overseeing and founding, overseeing and funding one foundation, though, was not enough for Ima, and in 1964, she founded the Ima Hogg Foundation, which was also administered by the University of Texas. This foundation's focus was on projects specifically built, and this, pro, and this foundation's focus was on projects specifically benefiting children's mental health in Harris County, which is where Houston is. Eventually, this foundation would be the primary beneficiary of her own will. Music and mental health were not the only areas of focus in Ima's public life. The children of Houston remained an abiding concern for Ima Hogg. In 1943, she ran for a seat on the school board of the Houston Independent School District. She won in a landslide. Championing equality, she worked to remove gender and race as determinations of pay rates among the segregated schools. Women teachers were paid less than men throughout the district, and teachers at black schools were, of course, paid less than teachers at white schools. She also once again supported mental health by pushing for a visiting teacher program for children with emotional problems, and she began art education programs in the black-only schools. There hadn't been any before that. Despite the good she did, Ima did not run for a second term. Ima's love of culture wasn't just philanthropic. She owned a large collection of art, including Native American works, and pieces by Picasso, Chagall, Matisse, and Modigliani. She also began collecting antique American furniture during her convalescence in Philadelphia. At the time, most people didn't believe any American pieces had any value and only collected furniture from Europe. Hogg was one of the first to recognize the value of American decorative arts. Over the years, she was often asked to loan pieces out of her extensive collection to exhibits in New England. She always refused, saying, quote, They've got plenty of these things up there. Even Imus Holmes featured art. In 1928, she and her brother, William, moved into a large house on what was then the western outskirts of Houston, which she dubbed Bayou Bend in 1928. During its construction, Ima worked closely with architect John Staub to ensure that Bayou Bend would showcase their art collection. She restored the house in 1939 and donated more than 100 pieces of art to the Houston Museum of Fine Arts. Following her brother Michael's death in 1941, Ima donated his collection of Frederick Remington art to the Museum of Fine Arts. This collection consisted of 53 oil paintings, 10 watercolors, and one of the limited edition Bronco Buster bronzes that is perhaps Remington's most famous piece. The Hogg Brothers Collection is one of the most important groupings of Western paintings on display in an American museum. She also donated her own Native American collection, which included a bunch of pottery, uh, jewelry, and paintings. Ima's artistic knowledge and taste was recognized on the national level when President Eisenhower appointed her to serve on a committee to plan the National Cultural Center, now known as the Kennedy Center. Jacqueline Kennedy later appointed Ima to the advisory committee to seek historical furniture for the White House. Now, Miss Ima, as she was known, was also known for her restoration work, and we saw that back when she helped her father with the Vernier Plantation. In 1953, she helped found and became a member of the Texas State Historical Survey Commission, which eventually became the Texas Historical Commission. 
She delighted in poking around during the. She delighted in poking around during the renovations she oversaw. Though she spent little time at the Werner Plantation, which had helped establish her fortune, she bought art and furniture for it. In the 1950s, she restored that house again and gave each room a theme from a different point in Texas history. There's even a room dedicated to her father, which included his desk, his chair, and a collection of walking sticks. Then in 1958, she donated this property to the state, and it was dedicated as the Werner Hogg Plantation State Historical Site. Ima Hogg then turned her attention back to Bayou Bend. By the late 50s, she said, I have been collecting American furniture. I collected and collected and collected until I had so much of it, I didn't know what to do with it. I decided to give it to a museum. But instead of just giving its contents to a museum, Ima turned Bayou Bend itself into one. By this point, both of her younger brothers had died, so the decision was hers alone. She donated the house and its contents to an annex of the Houston Museum of Fine Arts, along with a $750,000 endowment. The decision was not without controversy, as several of her neighbors sued to prevent Bayouvin from becoming a museum and increasing traffic in the neighborhood. Hogg prevailed in the lawsuit, but successfully petitioned the city to build a footbridge over Buffalo Bayou so visitors would not drive through the River Oaks neighborhood. In 1965, she moved out, telling the docents, quote, When you love something enough, it's easy to give it up in order to see it go on. The home was open to the public the next year as Museum of Fine Art Houston's Bayou Bend Collection and Gardens. Today, Bayou Bend is near the large and rambling Memorial Park, which is also home to the Houston Arboretum. Ima was not idle while Bayou Bend was being converted from home to museum. In 1963, she purchased property near Roundtop, which is uh, in the hill country between uh, Austin and Houston. And after she decided that the home would be impractical to move to Bayou Bend, she instead moved into the house to restore it. Later, she restored the Windell Inn in the small Texas town of Windell. The inn had once been a stop for stagecoaches, so it had historical value. She then donated that property to the University of Texas at Austin. Today, the Windell Historical Center serves as an outdoor museum and a music center, and it annually hosts Shakespeare at Windell. In 1969, she restored her parents' home in Quitman in East Texas, and the town renamed it the Imahog Museum. She later restored and had her grandfather's home moved into this park. Hogg was usually called Miss Ima by those who knew her and generally considered the First Lady of Texas, no matter who happened to live in the governor's mansion. When her husband was in office, Nellie Connolly said, The governor's wife is usually called the First Lady of the state, but Ima always has been and always will be the First Lady of Texas. In 1957, the New York Times featured prominent Texans in high society, stating, But one social figure celebrated throughout the state and even beyond its border is Miss Ima Hawk. She is now about 80, but still a civic beacon of Houston. The first curator of Bayou Bend described Hogg as, quote, small and dainty and feminine and smart and sharp and knowledgeable all rolled into one. Her biographer described her as elegantly and stylishly dressed, independent and self-possessed, able to sugarcoat her single-mindedness with layers of charm, a woman of unfailing politeness. Ima wasn't without her detractors or rivals, though. A Houston Symphony concert organized to celebrate her 90th birthday featured pianist Arthur Rubenstein, who called her a, quote, tiresome old woman, while she referred to him as a pompous old man. 
In contrast, she said of another musician she met at a different concert, Vladimir Horowitz. In contrast, she said of another musician, Vladimir Horowitz, was such a nice man, not at all like that Mr. Rubenstein. <laughs> well, Miss Ima died on August 19, 1975, at the age of 93. She was vacationing in London at that time, and she died of a heart attack. When notified of her death, the University of Texas declared two days of mourning and flew the flag at half-staff. She was buried with her family in Oakwood Cemetery in Austin. The Hogg, As we stated, the Ima Hogg Foundation was the major beneficiary of her will, and her work lives on through that and the many other programs which she started. In 1963, when Ima became the first woman to receive the Distinguished Alumnus at the University of Texas Ex-Students Association, Former Governor Alan Shivers said of Miss Ima, quote, Some people create history, some record it, others restore and conserve it. She has done all three. Well, that's a fantastic story. First Lady of Texas. Yeah. Never married in her whole life. 93 years, didn't get married. Well, they don't want to pass on the tuberculosis. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I'm a hog is the one of those famous Texas ladies, you know, she's a lot like reminds me a lot of a better cop hobby or Mrs. Eugenie McDermott mm-hmm. who like in, you know, you have decades and decades of continued philanthropy in the state, you know, in Texas. Um, just a remarkable woman. Yeah, she was a great lady. And I think, you know, one of those things that I remember from school, her name was what we learned about. And that kind of stuck, and that was it. Right. And her philanthropy, her involvement in history, her preservation, and, uh, you know, her, her humility and, and, and was wonderful. So, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, it's a really fascinating story that is one of those, oh, if you just take 10 minutes to learn about this person, you'll be really blown away. Well, and if you've ever been to Houston, and the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston is a gorgeous museum, and... Yeah, I didn't realize that so much of its collection came from the Hogg family. So I've seen many of the, the things that we just talked about. These days, uh, I'm a Hogg would have her own show on uh, HGTV, uh, <laughs> restoring old houses and, and filling them with art. You know, yeah. um, that was that was her thing before that was a thing that everybody got into. So um, it's it's a remarkable legacy that she helped um, leave, you know, both for Houston and the state as a whole. Uh, to to collect all these these artworks and uh, and everything, so um, yeah, it's a, a great story. I, I don't think anybody would donate three million dollars a month of oil money to back to the state of Texas. Yeah, I mean that's amazing, <laughs> you know. Um, but you know that helped fuel all of this uh, this yeah. these great great arts and the the. Um, the school for children and the, the, the education for uh, mental health, all of that, um, you know, is a, is a wonderful legacy. Yeah, they, they're very fortunate they didn't sell that plantation. Well, it was good luck for them, and it was good luck for Texas. So there was another story that, that, that I saw that uh, was interesting, just, just the remarkable life she lived. She was on her way to Europe when World War II broke out in 1939. But because America wasn't involved, she was allowed to continue her vacation. <laughs> because I'm sure FDR didn't want to tell her to come back home. Um, I thought it was interesting that they went to Hawaii 
to see the handover, you know, the, the annexation ceremony because, uh, you know, he, you know, Jim Hogg was a prominent Democrat politician, but he was from the only other state that had surrendered its own sovereignty to the United States through annexation. And so I thought that was interesting that you had a recent governor of the state of Texas at a ceremony where Hawaii uh, becomes part of the United States. You know, it was only 50 years before that Texas had done that. And she had a premonition. Yeah, don't get on that boat. Yeah. Now, do you think, I mean, in the pantheon of, we've talked about several of important uh, Texas women throughout history, she's, she's right up, she should be up there in the top 10 for sure. Oh, yeah, easily. Easily. Very much so. And actually, she made it pretty far in the uh, Great Texan Tournament this this year, hosted by the uh, that is true. General Land Office. She was in that tournament. Well, they, uh, they got to take mean, Sam this, Houston out of that thing. I mean, just, it's, it's just not <laughs> retire. fair. He's got to go in the Hall of Fame. He's got to go in the Hall of Fame. Hall of fame. So, retire his uh, cravat and yeah, sideburns. I would love to think that there's a jersey hanging on a wall somewhere. No, it's the green, it's the green cravat. Oh, that's what he's wearing. With the, so, uh, <laughs> the, the velvet, hang up the velvet suit. Yes. She just, you know, she's one of those, I mean, it's, there's just a number of them, those, these great ladies who poured their lives into Texas and Texans. And, you know, she didn't do it to be famous. She did it because it was her responsibility. Now, as she got older and even, you know, she expected her way to be, to get her way. You know, she she was going to get her way. She was going to get it was going to be done how she wanted it done. But at the same time, like she really did pour her fortune and her life and her, you know, her means into into culture and into the arts and into education in this in Texas and in her beloved Houston. So, you know, there's that's that's the you know, just like Ovetta called hobby. That's what people should know more about her than just, you know her name i'm a hog so next time somebody mentions her just say it's more than just a funny name friend she's a <laughs> texas treasure that wraps things up for today you can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com we'd love to hear from you so like and share us on facebook follow the show on twitter at texas podcast or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback you can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com and why not follow us individually too I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. We'd like to thank our friend James Abendroth for helping us to research and write this episode, and Tamika Jones Abendroth for suggesting the topic. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Blackguard Press, and find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. Now, if you like this show, well, get out there, do your duty, tell your friends, and please leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.